0: Great coaches ask great questions. The best days at work are the days when the light bulb goes on for somebody else. Well, hello and welcome to the On It, Not In It interview series. I am your host, Todd Eppert, and today I'm joined by Jerry Harrison. Who is the chief executive officer at Emissaries Financial Services, Jerry? Thank you so much for joining us. Would you like to kick us off with a brief background as to who you are and what you do?
1: Sure, I appreciate that very much, Todd. So I always like to start with just that, as you said, that little bit of background, so people kind of understand why I do what I do. But I come from a large family, and there was actually originally four children, and my mom and dad got kind of crazy and adopted six more, and. You know when you have that many kids if you have children you already know how expensive they can be so i knew that college for example my parents weren't going to be able to afford that so it was on me and it's not that i wasn't smart i just didn't try very hard in high school so no academic scholarship Uh, i'm 51 today and i weigh 140 pounds which is what i weighed in 1990 when i graduated so obviously no football scholarship So what i did i went the the next best route to me and i joined the u.s army and decided to go military take advantage of the you know the gi bill and i got married at 19 had a child and when i got out of the military one thing i realized very quickly because my dad raised me with a really strong work ethic when you have a family you do what you have to do to take care of them no excuses and so i had to immediately I, i had to go get a job because i couldn't go sit at college you know, being a full-time student with a wife and child at home. And so the, the best dollar per hour I could get was in a factory. And, you know, my plan was two years in a factory. Then I would go back to school, right? And life is life. My, my car needed tires. My house needed a roof. My daughter needed braces. And, you know, before I knew it, I'd been working in a factory 20 years. And, uh, you know, I saw a guy retire at 68. And then he came back to work part-time at 69 because he wasn't making enough between his 401k and his Social Security. And that just really struck me because I didn't want to be in the same place, but yet I was doing the exact same job he was doing. And so my wife and I decided to do something different. We started researching, we watched YouTube channels, we read books, and we got into a few different things. We, we started flipping houses, right? I became a real estate investor, which is a fancy way of saying I bought this $28,000 piece of junk and I fixed it up and and sold it, you know, and it it did good. I made good money on it and I realized I had a knack for it. So we've done it a bunch of times and we've done about 47 flips up to this point. That got me into starting another company, kind of like did some contracting work, but eventually, you know, becoming self-employed, the realization hit me that I no longer had a company supported you know, 401k, a retirement plan. And I started searching, okay, what can a self-employed person do for retirement? And the more I learned from, you know, talking with financial advisors and companies that there are so many choices out there. It's like, what do you trust? Who do you trust and what do you pick? Until finally I met a gentleman that was a fiduciary and he started explaining, not just what he could do with my money, but he taught me how money works. And that really struck a chord in me because he took the time to educate me and I was so intrigued by what he taught me, my wife and I decided that's been almost five years ago now that uh, that's the path we wanted to take we wanted to be able to give back to our communities our friends our families and help fellow veterans fellow business owners understand the money game. That's the reality of it and that it absolutely changed our life. And that's how I got into the financial services.
0: That is awesome. And uh, yeah, I I neglected. I should have thanked you for your service when we kicked off, but thank you for your service, Jerry. We really, we all, uh, as Americans, we don't do that enough. I don't think we need to do it every time we we turn around. So uh, yeah, thank you so much for that. So, so yeah, so what you just told us the story, I mean, obviously life happened, like you got married at a young age, you had a baby at a young age, and now you got to take care of your family. Your dad raised you with a work ethic, but you know, a lot of the normal path for the world today is well, I'm gonna to go to college and get a get a job, and yet you said, No, I'm gonna go flip houses. I can make you know, I can make an investment, work hard, turn it into more cash. Was there something else there that was kind of the spark? Was there a need for freedom? Was there a free was there a desire to make money faster? What was the spark that really said instead of instead of going the traditional route of college and career, you went down the path of yeah, you worked in a factory, but you also did Uh, a lot of other things on the side. What was the, what was that spark that really led to it?
1: Well, and that's a great question, but part of the reason why I I had friends, I had family members, and many of the people that I worked with, that were doing the same job I was doing, had degrees. And so here I was with no degree and, you know, making the same money they were making. And then I looked around and I had a couple family members that were Fairly well off, uh, you know, quarter million dollars and up. And I knew a few people through friends of friends that were very wealthy. And I started looking at them, not a single one of them had a job. Not a single one of them had a degree. And they were all business owners of some type. And that made me think okay, if I'm going to do something, whether it's school, you know, college degree, whether it's some kind of different trade or owning a business. I wanted to put the odds in my favor and I wanted to be I had a desire to be successful, I wanted the freedom, I wanted to not have to worry when I put my head on the pillow night, I didn't have to I wanted I didn't want to have to worry about paying my electric bill. And so I, to me, it just was a matter of, of I guess, odds or probabilities that you know the most successful people I knew or had been around were business owners so that's why I chose that route.
0: That's awesome. I love that, Jerry, and just a bit of a public service announcement to any kids that are out there listening to the podcast today. College is not the only way to go. You can start a trade, you can get a qualifications, and you can be making really good money right out of high school if you just educate yourself on how to work with your hands and do a job, right? That's fantastic. Thanks. Thanks, Jerry. Appreciate it. Uh, so so uh, just out of curiosity, that sounds like a lot of good stuff, but what are some misconceptions about running a business and how do you address them?
1: <laughs> the biggest misconception, I think, is that people think it'll just happen like magic or that it's easy. It It is one of the most difficult, stressful in some ways, things that you'll ever do in life, because it's that transition that people have to make from an employee mindset to a business owner mindset. Because, you know, most people go to their job and they work just hard enough not to get fired because the employer pays them just enough for them not to quit. And that's not a very good combination to to be successful, but with a business owner, you know, it all rests on you. And it's understanding all those little things that you need to put in place, those extra hours you need to put in, the initiative you need to take, you know, you have to be patiently aggressive in building a business. And I think the last statistics I saw was that Out of all new businesses that start, 80% fail within the first two years. And out of the 20% that make it, 80% of those fail by year five. So out of 100 businesses by year five, there's only like four left. And so people have to understand that it doesn't happen overnight, and it's going to take effort. But I always let people know it will be worth it.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's a great message again. That I I you've got a lot of really good uh tidbits for our, our listeners. So thank you for sharing those. You're right. You're dead on the the, the statistics, by the way. That's what I always read as well as 80% fail in the first, first year, and then 80% fail up to five years as well. So you're right. It's a very small number that get past five years successfully, and it does take energy and effort, and maybe it takes a little bit of help along the way. Like you, Absolutely. you clearly got message as you looked at some successful people around you that they weren't career path people, they were business owners. And maybe you leaned into them at times and said, hey, I'm struggling. How do I do this? And that's why this community exists in the On It, Not In It podcast. So thanks for sharing that. So uh, you do have a lot of stuff going on. Uh, you've got a few irons in the fire. You got a couple different businesses. Uh, but what are your biggest biggest challenges today?
1: Well, the biggest challenge today is depending on whether you're talking employees or you know financial services agents or clients there's a big difference in how you need to treat each one depending on the generation they're from like i'm I'm a gen xer gen xers and older it's a totally different animal than dealing with gen y's or gen z's so that's been a large challenge for sure so just understanding those dynamics
0: yeah, and that's fantastic. You're right. In our workforce today, uh, boomers are pretty much gone, but we still have the Xers for sure. We have a lot of millennials. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have all the Zs now are co- that are coming along. Um, and, and as an Xer myself, uh, we are the squeezed generation. We have this giant boomer generation and we have a giant millennial generation right behind us and we are squeezed in the middle. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, we, we are the ones that have had to learn over our careers to work with the boomers as well as the millennials. And you're right. It's you got to meet them where they are and you got to change your approach in many, many ways. Um, so, yeah, so great. So that's a great thing to share. So um, so constantly evolving business landscape. You know, we, we had this little thing called a pandemic a couple of years ago, but we also just have normal business evolutions. Things are changing constantly. So how do you stay adaptable and open to change? And are there any specific strategies that you could share that help you stay innovative?
1: Yeah, one, one it, it's helped me my entire life as an entrepreneur or business owner. Number one, I, I only focus on one thing at a time. I mean, you know, we hear the statistics have multiple streams of income, and that sounds great, but the problem is most people that become serial entrepreneurs, they think that that's what they're supposed to do, so they, they've got five or seven things going on, and all they're doing is creating five to seven trickles that are pretty much, that'll dry up just like that. What I did is, number one, I focused on one and one only until I had a river flowing. Then I put systems in place to where it could run on auto, autopilot. Then I diverted it to create, you know, my second stream of income. So that's one focus, 100% laser light focus on one thing at a time. Number two, understand that you don't know everything and find a mentor finding a mentor for what you're trying to accomplish will help you if you can set aside your arrogance or your ego and find a mentor, that's huge. I mean that really is. And I would say last is being willing to accept as early as possible help because not a single one of us is an expert at everything that business entails. So I brought on a part-time, um, call it, uh, a, he's a CFO consultant. I couldn't afford a CFO when I first started, but I could afford to pay him for a couple hours a month. So he would come in, he would look at my, you know, everything from my P&L, my capitalization usage, and, and he would just help me in, in helping to determine the vision and the direction of the company and planning. And by doing that, I was able to be much more profitable and grow my business and scale it properly instead of just, you know out there trying and throwing paint against the wall.
0: Excellent. So I love the fact that in the question where I say how do you stay open to change and adaptable and what's the strategy? You fo- you you bring up focus on one thing, right? That doesn't mean that you just put your head in the sand and keep doing it the same way every single time. Right. You're talking about specifically focusing on one type of customer or business model or whatever it is to drive that business to the best it can be and adapt along the way, make any changes you need to be successful, but don't get five different things going at the same time because you'll do five different things pretty poorly instead of well, one to, really well.
1: I mean, to, to that point, Todd, it's it's like our financial services. We we began financial services, you know, a couple of years before the pandemic. That absolutely changed everything. Yeah. and but by focusing on just this one business only now it allows me to focus on the market how it's shifting and changing how people's views are changing how people want to you know where they want to put their money for retirement or college funds or or even day to day in their savings accounts it, people's trust in the market all of that changes drastically especially with the current economic climate so by focusing on one you're correct. It doesn't mean doing the same thing. It means paying attention. And it goes back to, uh, I believe it was Walt Disney said that his father taught him to always provide value, more value. And he said, he said, it like, he says, always provide more value than you ask for and pay. And if you do that, you'll never <laughs> have to worry about getting paid. So it's just a matter of paying attention, focusing on your business, and understanding your clients. And how they're changing so that you can always try to bring them value and that may be shifting a little bit in how you do things but it's always about providing value
0: wow that's excellent excellent i love that analogy and i love that quote by the way that's great so uh just just so we talked a little bit about past kind of what's going on now current challenges Give us a glimpse into the future. What are your plans and goals as you move into your continue to grow in your business, but more importantly, what is the next step in your entrepreneurial journey?
1: Oh, this is a good one. So I always keep a short-term and long-term goal list. So a couple of things that I, I personally do, I have a, a top 300 list. You can look up a 300 list uh, by Steve Harvey. He's got a great video on it, but it, it's really big on affirmations and goal setting and vision boards. I I, I love that because it keeps my mind on where I'm going. And so vision for our agency, we already have 36 licensed agents, uh, you know, financial services agents. We have offices, uh, you know, all over the country in different uh, states, but our goal is we want to, and it's, and once again, it's not about what I want me to do or my office to achieve. It's, I want to be able to help my agents. I want to be able to help a thousand families become financially free. That's my short-term goal. So for us to be able to serve our clients to the point that they can be financially free and stable, we're not talking multi -multi multi-millionaires, but I want to help the average American become financially set in today's economic climate. So that's one of our short-term goals. And two, it's to grow our company enough that eventually, I'm 51. My wife and I want to retire completely at 55, and we want to turn our our business over to my daughter, and have her, you know, run the company and then leave it to my grandkids. So, long term goal is to leave a, a legacy to my not just my grandkids but my great grandchildren because I had somebody ask me once, Todd, and, and I, you know, you can answer, you cannot, but somebody asked me do you know the name of your grandparents? Um, Yeah, I know their names. Do you know the name, the the first name of your great-grandfather and your great-grandmother? Some people do, but then when they ask me, do you know the name of your great-great-grandfather and your great-great-grandmother? I had no clue. And most people I ask, I ask that question a lot. I've only had maybe 5% of the people I ask know that. And yet Rockefeller's Still know his name generations upon generations upon generations, right? Sam Walton will be known for generations upon generations. I just want to leave a legacy that my great-great-grandchildren know who I am.
0: That's really cool. I love that. I love that goal. You talk about a lifetime goal to leave a legacy that your future generations will remember, several generations, well before, well long after you're gone, which is awesome. That's great. So uh, one last question for you, Jerry. Uh, what advice would you offer to aspiring entrepreneurs who are just starting their journey or facing challenges in their businesses that they've just started?
1: Mm. There's, if there's one thing I would tell anybody wanting to own a business, your business rises and falls with leadership, with, and that's with you, the, the business owner. And if there's one thing I would encourage everyone to do, I read a book a week. Without fail, a book a week, everything I have a massive list. I, I'm currently reading Arnold Schwarzenegger's newest book, uh, Seven Lessons and just when you in, when you engage in the act of continually learning, you will become the best version of yourself you can and it helps you succeed in whatever you choose to do. So I would just encourage anybody because that knowledge see people say knowledge is power it, it's not. It's the application of knowledge is power. And so once you gain that, you become better and better and better, and it'll help you overcome those obstacles, overcome those frustrating moments in business ownership. It helps, it helps you become the best version you possible, which just leads to success. So I would encourage anybody, I challenge anybody to read a book a, book a month. If anybody reads just a book a month for two years, uh, Patrick Bet David, if you know who that is, he has Valuetainment. He does the Vault Conference. He says that if someone does that for two years straight, a book a month, it will absolutely change your life.
0: Yeah, continuous learning is a big part of the company that I'm part of at Focal Point. It's one of our core values. Um, and so I totally agree with that and totally get that. Um, I think I actually heard a really sad statistic that said the average American after high school reads one book in their lifetime. Very pretty- sad. It's pretty amazing. Um, so, hey, Jerry, uh, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it was great meeting you, learning more about your entrepreneurial journey. You shared a lot of thoughts and wisdom that I know our, our listeners will really enjoy. So to everybody watching and listening, I look forward to seeing you in our next episode. And thank you again, Jerry.
1: Thank you, Todd. My pleasure.